And hello from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner with this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School webinar. Nice to be with you again today, and uh, hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving uh, holiday weekend. Those of you who are in the United States anymore, anyway, uh, do have some friends in England and they know about the holiday, and they know about the turkey, but they don't get to do it. I suppose they could if they wanted. A uniquely American holiday, that and Fourth of July, I guess, are about, or our President's Days, about all we have that's unique. Anyway, um, Thanksgiving to me is uh, obviously about more than food. It's about family. It's even about more than that. Really about gratitude. And, uh, I wanted to do a show on gratitude today, but wanted to do it last week, too. I, I think we'll just have to put it off for a while. It's a great topic. Gratitude is a quality of love. Very important uh, to just creating a mindset of, of prosperity and health and abundance. Um, so in coming weeks and months, we'll set aside a program and devote it to the meaning of Thanksgiving, uh, gratitude. We just won't hook it to the holiday. Today, what I want to talk about, however, is control. This is a, a, a big issue. This, <laughs> many people can define their lives based on a search for control. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. Uh, those of you who are listening live on the web, We'll be able to submit questions and comments as we go through our presentation here today. Uh, I don't think we'll have a real long uh, session today. We never go longer than 90 minutes, and we usually approach an hour with the guided imagery exercise we'll be doing. And I'd like to, uh, as always, uh, read your comments and your questions if you are on the web. Now, we do have people listening on the telephone this week and every week to our live program, and uh, you're always welcome, of course, but uh, for obvious reasons, we have to mute the callers out, and uh, it just gets too noisy otherwise, but if you're on the web, you can use the little submission box in the bottom of the page, put your first name or full name, the city where you are today, and just above that, a comment or a question about the nature of control, and... Uh, just the frustration, the anxiety that comes out of trying to control what we cannot control, trying to, in the bigger sense, find our place in this universe. A couple of things before we get to our topic of the day, a little bit of business. Um, I hope you had a chance to hear the Mystery School last week that we did with my business partner of more than 30 years, Steve Snyder, as we talked about uh, well, we called the program your e-ticket to paradise. We talked about the major upgrade to the Focused Passion website that we launched about a week or ten days ago. And uh, we're still so excited about it and setting up a committee called the Ambassadors Committee of people who really, really like this material and would like to help us promote this material because now we're into a, a, a marketing stage, really, where we have to bring these programs to the awareness of other people so they can 
well, simply said, find out that they exist. There's not much out there like this. And what we do find in the personal development or human potential field is a lot of individuals that are instructing us. And so a lot of the audiobooks and other recordings that are offered in this field are, as you would expect, one person teaching you, talking to you. What Steve and I do that's different, and I don't know of any other uh, duo in the human potential field that's doing it, after having spent more than three decades together teaching this material, and of course we both have our own projects, uh, Steve worked for many years and still does with uh, a, a group that trains CEOs and executives in progressive business management. I, of course, have worked with private individuals and couples as well as my radio career. But we've always worked together, done public seminars, and, and just as friends shared what we've been reading on our own with each other uh, to sort of feed each other's heads about the whole field of human potential and personal development that we both feel so strongly about. And now it's been just over a year that we've launched FocusPassion.com. This program that you're listening to now, whether live or maybe you're listening to a replay at what would be our future, from what would be our future, um, in in any event, this is really a free public service or a project of FocusPassion.com. That's our home site. That's that's um, the cornerstone of everything that we do. And I want to let you know that that new site has been launched. It is up and running. And <clears throat> excuse me, if you're a subscriber or a contributor to that site, and you haven't been there in a little while. It's real important that you go back and attempt to log in, only instead of using your old password, click the Remember Password link or use the Forgot My Password form to request a new password. That's all you need to do. You don't have to submit credit card information or addresses. We've got all of that if you're already getting our program. All we need you to do is click on Remember password when you go to log in at focusedpassion.com, or there's a forget or forgot. I think it's called forgotten password, or I forgot my password. Either one of those two places, if you see it, that'll send you an email from us with a new password in it. And then when you log in, you can use the really cool send one to a friend feature. And of all the programs that you receive whether it's right into iTunes or into your RSS reader of choice. every Pretty much every browser works for that, too. Um, you just uh, use that to get logged in again, and then any of the programs that you've heard, uh, you'll be able to forward for no charge, no fee, to as many other people as you think could benefit from it. So uh, a program... Uh, on depression, for example, you might want to uh, might want to send to a friend who's feeling really sad and bummed out. Uh, somebody who has a problem concentrating, uh, send them the program on uh, uh, ADD, for perhaps. Or uh, we just recorded a program that'll go out soon on uh, weight loss. Both Steve and I have 
have lost over 50 pounds in the last uh, year or so, a little less, and so on and so forth. You know, it, it, it's a nice little gift to be able to give to people, and it's a way that we can get these programs in front of other people. Um, like this class, I don't think that Finding Yourself in Paradise, that, that program that Steve and I do out of FocusPassion.com, can really be appreciated by somebody who's just been told about it. I think they need to hear it. It's sort of like I can't tell you, i got to show you. Uh, I, I, I couldn't really describe it. You, you just have to listen to this, and then I think it speaks for itself. So the conversational format, the guided imagery exercises, I, I think it's the best stuff either of us have ever done. And so I want to mention at the top, for those of you who may already be contributors to FocusPassion.com, go get uh, a new password for yourself so you can access the other features. We also have user admin now. So if you have a credit card that's about to expire or uh, your mailing address changed or something, you can do all of that by yourself now. So a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money, frankly, went into uh, building this website and when you get a chance, especially if you haven't even seen it yet. If you're a listener to this Sunday webinar, but you haven't been to Focus Passion yet, check it out, focusedpassion.com, because if you like this stuff, you'll love uh, what we're doing there. Okay? Steve and I together. Focuspassion.com. Okay, let's get to this uh, uh, theme for the week here on the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, the, the idea of control. As I said, many people could define their lives based on a search for control. You see it a lot in um, oh, in childhood with sibling rivalry, you know, who's in control, who's running the show from the kid's point of view. You certainly see it in uh, marriages and, and partnerships where in most cases there is a struggle for control even if there is some sort of tacit understanding that we need to share the control, there's still an inevitable struggle or a series of struggles about what constitutes middle. You know, uh, where does my input begin and end? Where does your input begin and end? Uh, how do we quantify the emotional charge we have on this? And how do we determine who's really going to be in control? So even the conundrum of shared control is difficult for people. They don't have a lot of rules. There's not too many people that talk about this. Consequently, what we have in the minds of most people is a sense of control being a kind of power that we have over another person, an ability to humiliate, to intimidate, to physically threaten, with force or violence or some other consequence, uh, there is a kind of control that sometimes people seek, which is a control through love and through understanding and harmony, thoughtfulness and kindness. But that's sort of where we're headed. <laughs> that's not where most of us begin. Most of us are trying to get a grip. We're trying to put our hands on a situation. We don't like the feeling 
of being done to or being a victim. So to begin at the beginning in this search for control and understanding better ways to find real control in your life, in all areas of your life, as an individual, as a partner or a spouse in a marriage, as a, as a child working with parents living at home or vice versa, parents having to deal with the kids, uh, whatever, or at work, certainly there is a, a series of scenarios we need to look at. Wherever we're trying to find some impact, some influence, some control, uh, the, the concepts we're going to talk about apply. But to go to the beginning, to go to the very beginning, because I, I think this is going to surprise you. The, the whole program here today, where I'm going to suggest you can finally find real control in your life. To go to the beginning, we have to talk about the wonder of living in a cause and effect universe. I often speak to those of you who take notes, and if you're prone to writing things down during these classes, that's a good thing just to jot down right at the beginning. Cause and effect. Okay, in the, I was going to say human world, in the animal world, or even in the, hmm, this is also found in plants too, Anim, animals and plants, some might even argue the mineral kingdom, <clears throat> is a stimulus response world. That's another way of talking about cause and effect. There's cause and effect, there's a stimulus and a response with a living thing, but even in the material world, which in the strictest sense is not alive, metaphysically there is but one life, and even the mineral kingdom is part of the one life, so it's a living uh, world, it's a living kingdom. Traditionally, however, scientists see the organic world of uh, human and animal and plant as being prone to stimulus and response, but not the mineral world. But I'm just saying that a response of a plant or an animal or a human being to a stimulus is akin to the effect that a cause has. And we do live in a cause and effect universe. Now, what does that mean? Well, in physics, you could say every action has an equal and opposite reaction. But we can find it elsewhere in thermodynamics and electromagnetism and chemistry that we live in a cause-effect universe means we can talk about it from both sides, that everything happens for a reason. There is a cause behind every effect. Or said another way, things don't just happen. They, there's always a reason why something happens. Okay. Sometimes we can daisy chain our way back. You know what I mean by that? Like this is an effect of what cause? You said this to me because what's the cause? All right. Well, I said that because you said something else. And you 
daisy-chain your way back. Sometimes in a conversation, it just like it's, it, it looks like it's just going around and around. Well, you started it. No, you started it. No, you said, yeah, but before that, you said. <laughs> There's that as well. But to daisy-chain back is to find the first cause. And this is important in philosophy, the prime mover or the first cause. And philosophy is the absolute. This is what a religious person tends to personify as a deity in the shape of a man on a cloud living in the sky somehow. All right, But a separated God that is the cause of the universe or the prime mover. And then the universe exists as a... I hate to use the word separated, but that's the world view of most people. The universe or the creation exists separately as an effect. But within that context, let's just keep it simple for now, things don't just happen randomly, out of order, uh, chaotically, frenetically, for no reason. It's not always apparent to us why something happened, something like, why did you say what you said, or why is this frozen ice falling out of the sky? They tell me it's hail, but where did it come from? And gosh, it's bigger than usual. What does that mean, the size of this hail? Or uh, why is there suddenly a rainbow now? I don't understand. Why don't we have rainbows all the time? Or uh, why do things fall down but not up? What is the nature of gravity? Why does light act like a particle sometimes and an energy at other times and 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 mommy uh, daddy tell me why the sky is blue and so on and so forth there are reasons we don't always know them but we do know that we live in a cause effect universe things don't just happen they happen for reasons and to find the reason is often to find the cause I'm sorry, to find, let me say this clearly, to find the reason why something happened is often to find a cause that is also an effect of a previous cause. That's what I mean by daisy-chaining, right? And you say, well, this happened because of this, and that happened because of this, and you can daisy-chain your way back to the the Big Bang, supposedly, Again, the prime mover, the first cause, um, and then there was light. Voila. And this is difficult for us as human beings to get our brains around, the idea of a prime mover or a first cause. And you would probably capitalize first cause and, and prime mover. In the beginning, how could there be a cause all by itself? And that's what's so difficult for us to comprehend. It's like infinity in eternity. Uh, infinity in space, eternity in time, two forms of the same thing. Two, two ways of saying that space and time are unlimited. If, if the space is infinite and the time is eternal, well, you can't get your brain around infinite. Uh, I'm sure you've tried. I've tried. Uh, greater minds than ours have tried to comprehend infinite and eternal. And we can't really do it. 
because the brain is designed to work in a three-dimensional universe. Or if you, in terms of space, if you figure time as the fourth dimension, it's a four-dimensional universe, three dimensions of space, one of time. And that's what the brain is designed to do. Filter the ultimate reality into these four dimensions so we can deal with it. So cause and effect or stimulus and response happens across time and through space. To, to think of first cause or a cause that didn't come from a previous effect is as hard as thinking of infinity or eternity. It's difficult to get your brain around it. Even if you just sort of get your hands on it, as we're doing here today, that's something I don't know that we can fully embrace it. But you'll you'll see in just a matter of minutes where I'm going with this. Again, our topic is the search for power and control. So where is our power and control in a cause and effect universe? In a universe that is about stimulus and response. I remember and I'll bet you had a similar experience or maybe several similar experiences when I first learned about stimulus and response in high school we were working sort of gross to talk about now but biology class often is we were we had frog legs that had been you know removed from the frog so to speak and were hanging on a little lab stand and we had to as high school students I don't know, 10th or 11th grade, whenever we did this, we had to apply a little voltage, these little electric probes, to the frog leg hanging on the stand. No more frog, right? The frog is dead. The frog is gone. There's just this dead leg hanging on the stand. But if we applied a little bit of voltage to it, it would respond. The voltage was the stimulus. And the leg kicking all by itself, even though it wasn't attached to a frog's body anymore, was the response. I think you may be familiar with reaction time. Reaction time, for example, could be how long it takes for you to uh, see that somebody has run out in front of your car, God forbid. And uh, you have to perceive that and decide to move your right leg you may not think of it as a decision but it is rather autonomic or automatic decision to move your right leg off the gas lift it over to the brake apply the brake and then the car has to stop there's momentum and inertia and it takes time for the car all of that added together is your response or your reaction time we have a sense of that so whether it's somebody running in front of your car all of a sudden and you slam on the brakes, or the first example I gave, uh, albeit a bit gross, of applying the voltage to the frog's leg, you can see the stimulus, the voltage, or somebody running in front of the car, and then the response, the frog leg twitches or the person slams on the brake. That's as far, I'm afraid, as most of us get. That's as far as we go in this whole discussion of cause and effect, stimulus and response. 
the reason I'm even doing this today, besides the fact that we're all looking for control, is that there's a third element here that we're not really aware of yet, by and large. Or the models that we're using haven't matured to the point that we can talk about a three-step process to stimulus and response. That there's something in the middle. Maybe not in the plant kingdom, maybe not in the animal kingdom, but certainly in the human kingdom. And this may be what's what causes us to be, according to legend, in the image of our creator with a dominion over the lower kingdoms. And by dominion, that's not domination so much as caretaker status. It's in our interest, obviously. It's becoming obvious now that it's in our interest to care for Gaia, for the whole planet, the mineral kingdom, for the plants. That's where our oxygen comes from, for the animals, uh, because they know love. They look at you, and they love, and they trust you. And we can even domesticate wild animals by developing that trust and that love. It's a pretty remarkable thing as you begin to think about it. But in those kingdoms, you only have stimulus and response, cause and effect. There's something special about the human kingdom that we have an ability to rise above stimulus response, simple cause and effect, action and reaction. There's another way of saying it, action, reaction. Well, why'd you do that? Well, I felt like it. Okay, so you did this effect because somebody caused you to do it. Somebody made you do that. Yeah. It's like the guy that uh, Steve and I often joke about, the guy that called my radio show years ago and wanted my help because he said, people always make me get into fights. I said, <laughs> they said they do. How do they do that? He said, well, they make me get into fights, right? <clears throat> they caused him. He was a victim or a target of of a cause that had a predetermined effect. You mess with this guy, you're going to make him get into a fight. That, I'm a, <laughs> that's the point of this whole class today. That's what's missing, is that we're reacting like animals and plants to stimulus. And, yeah, there's a response to the stimulus. There is an effect from the cause. But what's missing too much of the time, is the middle bit, the middle piece, which is perception, or point of view, or attitude. So now, if you've written on your paper, cause and effect, <clears throat> or just below that, stimulus and response, I'm going to ask you to insert somehow a third element in there. You might have to use a little arrow to, to, to put perception, or you could put POV, point of view, that's a big term in Hollywood, your point of view, your POV, or perspective, or perception, or attitude between stimulus and response. Now, you would say, well, then what do we put between cause and effect? That's pretty clear cut. Well, it gets a little esoteric to say so, but I will. Between cause
effect is meaning. Okay. Now, this is pretty cool. If I stopped right here and had you go play with these ideas to reflect upon them and to contemplate on them, I think we could come back in a week and probably have a lot to share with each other. But I'm not going to stop here. I'm going to develop the idea and then suggest that even though I'm continuing, this is really the critical part right here, to put meaning between cause and effect. You realize the consequences? Oh, of course you don't. Neither do I. But to begin to break that thing open and to say between cause and effect is meaning. And between stimulus and response is your point of view, your perspective, or your attitude. Right? This is big, gang, because this is the control that you're looking for. This is where control is found. Managing not the cause or the stimulus, that's where we screw up. We think we have to be managers of what's done to us rather than managing our perception and our response. Indeed, if I could uh, redefine some words here, I would use reaction to refer to the knee-jerk autonomic response. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'd use reaction to refer to anything autonomic or automatic stimulus reaction and response to carry the connotation of this has been carefully considered. This is, as I like to say, substituting even-tempered, well-reasoned responses for knee-jerk reactions. Like slamming on the brakes of your car or zapping the frog leg with the a little electronic probes to make it kick, you probably have had a physical where the doctor asked you to cross your legs, most likely. There's different ways of doing the test, and, and hit the kneecap with a little hammer. And that's to test your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system to, to, to get a sense of whether that autonomic knee-jerk response, it's even in our vocabulary now, well, that's just a knee-jerk response, right? You know, a doctor doing a complete physical, a neurological exam would do the same thing with your elbows and your wrists and your ankles and maybe even your hips. To, to get a sense of how well those nerves are firing, all right? And I'm not going to get into, I'm not even qualified to get into the details of sympathetic versus parasympathetic and so on and so forth. Suffice to say that the knee-jerk response, um, well, I don't mean to say suffice to say, what I'm trying to say is, is, from my point of view, it's unfortunate that stimulus response 
isn't called stimulus reaction because that's what it is. It's referring not to a conscious response but to a reaction, stimulus response. All right, you, when somebody ran in front of the car in the example I gave a few minutes ago, you did not reason. You did not calm yourself. You did not review all of the options and choices that you had. You just slammed down the damn brakes, right? Shoot first, ask questions later. Stop the car before I kill somebody, and then we'll figure out, should I have also turned to the left or the right or, or, or whatever? It's like the frog leg. The, the, the frog leg that I zapped with a little voltage there was reacting. It wasn't really responding, even though it's called stimulus response. There's no frog body. That signal did not go to a brain and come back. But there was something within the frog leg that allowed it to twitch or respond to the stimulus, to the voltage. So it really should be called stimulus reaction, not stimulus response, if we are to distinguish between the reaction and the response. So, again, if, if somebody, you know, runs in front of your car and you slam on the brakes, fine. Good application of an automatic or autonomic knee-jerk reaction, part of the stimulus response, but it's really more of a reaction. But this is not a place or a, or a way to make important management decisions in our lives. If somebody says something hurtful to you and you just say something hurtful right back at them, you know how that escalates and because of the emotional charge and the stresses involved, the brain feels it's in danger, and it goes to the fight-or-flight response, which, again, is really a reaction, not a response. If by response I mean something considered, something pondered, something reflected upon, all right, a well-reasoned, even-tempered, well-reasoned decision would not be a reaction but a response. So we have all these ways of referring to unconscious behavior, but not nearly enough ways or enough experience, it seems, generally talking about the emergence of this middle of, yeah, the meaning between cause and effect, but that's a bit arcane. We'll have to talk about that more completely on another occasion. But really... More to the point, the point of view, the perspective, the the attitude that is the middle between a stimulus and a response. Fight or flight, stimulus reaction, even though it's called stimulus response, uh, that's fine for true danger. If you're in real danger, fight or flight is going to kick in. Actually, actually, it's fight or flight, freeze or faint. But I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to complicate it too much. They're all, from the way I'm defining the words, reactions or autonomic reactions, and they're fine for real danger. But most of our stress, write this down too. Most of your stress, the vast majority of your stress, 99.9% of your stress, has nothing to do with real danger at all. It's just things unknown. Why are you stressed? I don't know. That's the point. What are you worried about? Well, 
I can tell you a little, but mostly what frightens me is what I don't know. Bingo. <laughs> That's exactly the point. And so the response is to know and understand in many cases. It's not to just slam on the brakes or to turn and run, but to breathe and relax and substitute for a knee-jerk reaction, a relaxation response for the fight-or-flight response, a relaxation response that says, wait a minute, I have choices. And I stand between stimulus and response as the one who chooses how I respond to the stimulus. I think a simple example is to consider the matador. Um, a matador in, in a bullfight ring is, um, I know, I know it's illegal and it's disgusting. Um, cockfights and fighting dogs and all of that is so barbaric and so primitive, but let me make my example anyway. The matador is trying to get the bull to run right at him, and then he's going to step out of the way at the last minute. With that little red cape, he distracts the bull. And the bull's really intent on goring the matador. The bull is angry. You may not know the whole story, but by this time, he's had spears thrown at him, and he's going to die. He's upset, right? But the point is, even the matador doesn't take the bull by the horns. You know that expression? You've got to take the bull by the horns and stand up like a man and get mowed over. No, you don't always have to take the bull by the horn. Sometimes you can step aside at the last minute, like a martial artist that feels a sense of unity, at least harmony, with the adversary. And there's an elegance in the dance and the counterpoint, the point-counterpoint, the yin and the yang of, of this kind of combat. It's very different from Western combat, where two gunslingers just square off at high noon in the street or two street fighters just take turns being offensive with very little defense at all you watch the mixed martial arts on TV you'll see pretty quickly in spite of all their training they're wrestling on the ground <laughs> that's just that's just where it goes it seems that all the elegance in the, in the real world, goes right out the window, and they end up wrestling on the ground like like children. But there is much to be said for this idea of elegance and and harmony, and being a choice. You know, not just counterattacking, but uh, being very graceful and very elegant in the way we solve our problems and the way we choose our our responses. We often have feelings after the fact that we could have handled something better, a certain situation. You know, a discussion, an argument, gee, I wish I hadn't got to that, too much alcohol or whatever. And in retrospect, and we look back, sometimes with the help of friends, and say, well, you know, if if when this person said that, you'd said this instead, you could have avoided it. Well, yeah, in retrospect, 
you put the point of view or the perspective um, in the equation, but it's a little too late. What if we could consciously choose to remember that we have choices? What if you could train yourself to stop in what might look like a dangerous situation, but is really a situation where your stress and your fear and your anxiety is coming from your confusion, dare I say your ignorance, what you're ignoring, what you don't know or, or are not aware of, then you can break cause and effect stimulus response, break it up with this middle bit and say, I'm the one that chooses. I am this point of view. And here's our bottom line for the day. This I can control. And my response, therefore, I can control. While most people are still trying to control the stimulus. So write it out on the piece of paper. Stimulus. And next to that, perspective, POV, point of view, perspective or attitude. And then the third element, response. And under stimulus or overstimulus, right, no control. You have no control over what's done to you. <clears throat> in most cases, I mean, certainly in some cases you have control. I don't think fighting back is control. I don't think matching nasty words with more na nasty words is is control and you can influence and persuade and cajole and seduce and threaten and intimidate and buy off and but not very successfully and not very elegantly and the outcomes aren't very pretty to look at when we try to manage or control what's being done to us, the stimulus, the causes, you see, we end up like the guy saying, well, people make me get in fights. He had given all his power away by reacting knee-jerk instead of substituting even-tempered, well-reasoned responses. He had given all his power away. You retain your power and enhance your power when you say, well, I'm not going to stand here and take the full hit like a matador <clears throat> in a bull ring. You know, I'll, I'll sidestep, I'll, I'll dodge, I'll duck and weave a little bit, do a little rope-a-dope. But basically, my ability to control, to manage this situation is in my perception and response. And I have choices. I can choose many different ways to look at this situation, and I can consciously choose from a variety of different responses, and that's where my control is. Not in trying to manage or control what's being done to me. That's the mistake that we make. Okay? In the newsletter that went out this weekend, I said <clears throat> a great majority of our stress, and there are countless stressors and reasons to be stressed, but a 
great deal of stress and anxiety, worry, doubt, nervousness, fear, apprehension in our lives comes from trying to control what we cannot control. And you wonder why you're stressed. How about if I tell you to, to those of you in Los Angeles to go downtown to Chavez Ravine and move Dodger Stadium Put your shoulder into it. Just move the whole structure that is Dodger Stadium six inches to the north. I just need it nudged a little bit, about six inches to the north. And you know the feeling, don't you? Because our lives are full of trying to do what I can't do. Sometimes just to please other people. I'm trying to do what cannot be done not even to benefit me directly, but indirectly. I'm really doing this for somebody else. But the point is I'm not doing anything except frustrating everybody because I'm attempting to to, to take the bull by the horns rather than step aside or learn something or see that this bull has a tendency to do this or that or the other thing, trying to learn from the situation, you see. Now, this is core wisdom. And, again, I want to call your attention. I want to go to to the comments and questions here. So, provided you're listening live today on the web, I want you to use uh, that submission box in the bottom of the page in front of you. And then I can hit the refresh button a couple of times, and I can see them roll in. So, put down at the very bottom your name, first name or full name, and the city where you are, and just above that, a comment or a question about this whole idea of putting perception, point of view, call it attitude even, between the stimulus and the reaction. Between the And if you do that, then the reaction will be a response. You see what I'm saying? What's called stimulus response, I'm saying... When it's automatic, is really stimulus-reaction, knee-jerk. If you want it to be stimulus-response, in the best sense of the word, you've got to put a third element in the middle. It's got to be, I have choices. I have a point of view. I'm going to stop and think about this thing. And in real danger, you know, if uh, somebody surprises me as I come around the corner and I jump and go, oh, Geez, you scared me. Well, you didn't really scare me, but you sure surprised me. Oh, geez, I just, oh, gosh. Nothing wrong with that. Your body made a snap decision in a thousandth of a second that you just might be, just maybe in a little bit of danger and caused you to jump so you could get a head start on the fight or flight. Fine, that's not a bad thing, except when there is no danger and you need to have some control, some management ability. You need to remind yourself. We need to remind ourselves, I'll say it this way, that we have choices. And what are those choices? It's not in controlling what's done to us, the stimulus. It's in the perception and response. And this, I'm arguing, is the wisdom to know the difference. You know the serenity prayer. I put that in the newsletter. Many of you saw the newsletter. 
and I talked about the serenity prayer. They use it a lot in uh, the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and the other anonymous uh, 12-step programs, or, or a part of it anyway. It's actually a much longer prayer, but uh, there's a little request, you know, at, at the very beginning of the prayer, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change, to control, to influence, you see, the things that I can, but the punchline that everybody loves is the third line, and the wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> I often don't know the difference between accepting what I cannot change and stepping up and changing what I can. What is the wisdom, the ageless wisdom, to know the difference? Well, the wisdom, gang, is always in the middle. The heart and the soul and the truth and the mysterious answers, the mysteries, are in the middle. The secret is always in the center. Just like the heart or the emotional nature is between the mental and the physical. In this sense, consciousness, the awareness that you have choices, is the perception or the point of view or the attitude that has to be placed between stimulus and response, between what's done to me and what I choose to do with it. There's your power. There's the control that you're looking for. I have choices. And I, I, if you know me, you probably know my little checklist here. Number one, I have choices. Number two, keep going. There are always more choices than are immediately apparent. Number three, my choices are in point of view and response, not stimulus. In my attitude, my perspective, I have choices, and in what I choose to do with this situation, I have choices. All right, so number one, to create this middle point, I have choices. Number two, there are always more choices than are immediately apparent. If I would just sit here and breathe for a minute. In big danger, fine. Then don't sit there, don't breathe. The fight-or-flight system built into your brain, the survival mechanism, We'll reduce it all down to either or, cause and effect, right or wrong, good guys and bad guys, binary thinking, it's good for survival, and you fight or run like hell, or maybe a little of both. Give them your best shot and then run like hell. All right. But wow, would you look at the power in the middle. Oh, wait a minute, hold on here. I'm not in danger. It might feel like I'm in danger, but I'm not in danger. Let's take a breath here and slow down. How many different ways can I look at this? Here's the stimulus. Not much I can do about that. I could duck or dodge or weave a little bit, but mostly what's happened to me has happened to me. All right. But hold on. I have choices in how I look at it and what I choose to do with it. Number one, I have choices. Number two, there are always more choices than are immediately apparent. So hold on. Don't be in such a hurry here. Look at more permutations and combinations and variations. I have choices. 
There are always more choices than are immediately apparent. And they exist in these two areas, perception and response. That's where your power is. That's where the control is that you've been looking for. And we squander it when we try to exercise control over the stimulus. That's that takes us right back to that macho, mano a mano, two dinosaurs fighting it out, you see. High noon with the gangster, the, the cowboys on the street. No defense at all. <laughs> no planning. Just stand out there and shoot at each other. Right. That's the way we conduct our foreign policy and government. It's absurd. It's the way we solve all of our problems, and it's why we rarely solve our problems. Because we're reacting out of a lizard brain, a limbic brain in the very center that's designed to, to, to keep us alive and to, to create the best possible outcome when there's no time at all. You're in danger. Or, I mean, even slamming the brakes on in your car because somebody ran in front of you, you might say, well, you're not in danger. Well, yeah, you are. You'd... You're in danger of hurting somebody or, or killing somebody's dog or the kid or something. There, There is always some danger here that's immediately perceived. It's quite miraculous, if you think about it, that without a thought, in a nanosecond, bang, your, your, your reaction kicks in. It's just not a place to decide, should I marry this person or not? Should I take this job? Or make a counteroffer? Should I take the left fork in the road or the right? You know, people too often, they just spin the bottle. They just flip the coin. They just guess. They just react. They don't know. Okay. So this is the control that you're looking for. And it's always in the middle. Like all the mysteries. And, and again, it's a... It'll have to be another show to talk about the way this applies to cause and effect. The idea that there is, and there's very little literature about this, by the way, the way that there's a trinity in cause and effect, too. The middle bit in that, as I've said, is meaning. That your job, similarly, is not only to find the choice before you react knee-jerk, whenever you're not in immediate danger, and say, I have choices in how I look at this, and I have choices in how I respond. To put the meaning between cause and effect is a similar process. I want to find meaning in my life and purpose. We'll talk, we'll do programs on that. Purpose, I'll give you a little clue. Purpose is universal. We're all doing the same purpose. There is a purpose to life. Life, life comes out of purpose. There's a reason for it to be. Meaning is very personal. It's very subjective. It's what we bring to it. So let's look at some questions here before I run out of time. It's amazing to me how fast time goes when I'm on the radio or doing one of these classes. So, in Los Angeles, Steve says, I can accept letting go of control of everything in my life. But if I'm responsible for somebody else, as Christ once said, as Jesus once said, treat others as yourself, 
Um, I am led to want control over a situation that may harm them. Is that a wrong way of looking at it? Well, no, you can assist another person. And again, if we're talking about real danger, then depending on the situation, there may not be much opportunity for point of view, for perspective, uh, to bring an appropriate attitude into the situation. It just happens too fast. But you're talking about loving other people. If you're quoting Christ, treat others as yourself, which I believe is actually uh, Moses in the Hebrew Bible, uh, the golden rule, so-called. Confucius gets credit for that in the East, you know. The golden rule is really Confucius, but Moses wrote it down a few hundred years before Confucius came up with the same idea that we are our brother's keeper and we do have to treat others as you'd like to be treated because they are you and you are them. Um, but then again, it gets a little arcane if we go much beyond that. But if you're talking about uh, loving other people, uh, that is not something that needs control. Um, caring for other people is forming the intention. That may be the attitude you're looking for. That may be the center point. Uh, just that you care. How many times have we been in a situation where we loved somebody and we cared about them and we wanted to help, but we couldn't for whatever reason? There was nothing we could do. We were too far away, or we didn't have the power, we didn't have the money, we didn't have the authority, the status, the leverage. Maybe we just didn't have the opportunity. And maybe that was difficult, because you really did care, and you really did love this person, and you wanted to help. It's very frustrating. But you don't abandon the love or the caring. You, you keep that intention there. I'll do anything I can for you, you know. So, no, I don't think there's a problem there. Taking responsibility, want control over a situation that may harm them. Yes, your control is not over the situation that may harm them, Steve. Look for control in how you look at the situation and how you consciously respond to the situation. And that may require that they're already in the situation before there's much you can do. But again, ultimately, it's their life. Letting go of control and accepting personal responsibility should not be a separating process. Well, you're on your own. Not much I can do. Quite the contrary. Letting go of control over the stimulus that happens to us uh, and accepting responsibility for your life is allowing other people to be responsible for theirs. But... That doesn't separate us. That should bring us together with this attitude, with this point of view or perspective in the middle that is love. Where else are we going to find love but the magnetic field in the middle? Also in uh, Los Angeles, Tommy Lewis says hello. And uh, Tommy, uh, hello back at you. Nice to see you again. Carol in La Habra says hello. Uh, also Aloha from Pittsburgh. And uh, John. Here's uh, Tommy in L.A. saying, As you know, I was married in Ireland last May, and yet I was not granted permission to work in my field over there. 
I can work in service or in warehouse, so I came back to L.A. Maybe this is not for all of us. Maybe this is just for me. <laughs> Let me look at it here. Uh, okay, so he's talking about a problem he's got in both places with the local union and also uh, working over there. I'm floundering, feel there's nothing I can do. Uh, struggling seems pathetic. Surrender seems cowardly. I know the answer, but difficult to implement. Uh, then find more answers. If you know the answer, Tommy, then I would say uh, work with permutations, variations, and combinations as if the universe was somehow conspiring to present what appeared like a couple of problems. I can't work in L.A. I can't work in Ireland. And consider the possibility that this is a drama or a game to improve you, to, to, to stimulate you in such a way that you find a benefit or a reward, a wonderful outcome that you otherwise would not see. That's the attitude that I would then put between the stimulus and the response. There's got to be more choices. You're saying, I can see one way to reconcile this, but I don't have any power, so now I'm really frustrated. Because I see a way out, but that's not going to work. All right. um, then look for more choices. There, remember number two. Number one is I have choices. That's great. Number two is there are always more choices than are immediately apparent. It's, it's scary. It's frustrating, but that's life. It really, really is. And good luck. Let me know if I can help you more with that. Uh, let's see. Robert in Irvine says, Hello, Michael, returning student from the past. I'm ready to grow. Signed up for the podcast. Just what I'm looking for to start a new year and a new life. Well, thank you, Robert. Nice to hear from you again. And from uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands, where it's probably starting to get a little chilly about this time of year. Dr. Kev is with us. And uh, let's see, what does he say? Dozen, he's talking to us about dozens of free full-length documentaries that he's found. Freedocumentaries.com. Pretty cool. So just a heads up from Dr. Kevin Amsterdam. Check out freedocumentaries.com. And thanks for the URL. We'll do that. And in San Diego, Glenn says, Hi, Michael. Haven't been able to listen live for the last few weeks and other commitments, but we've been catching up with the replays. Appreciate uh, the program and all that you do, and hope you and Doreen had a happy Thanksgiving. And thank you, Glenn. We certainly uh, have had and continue to have. Uh, I've had one meal in the last three days that didn't have turkey in it, so we're, <laughs> we're working on it. In uh, Mission Hills, Greg says, how is it that you dealt with or deal with what has been happening to you physically? I ask because things are happening to my body, and it's so difficult to get past the fear of what feels like something that's inevitable. Well, if you're talking about aging, that is inevitable. He says, I've been reading the book The Law of Attraction by Esther and Jerry Hicks, and the part that I'm having the hardest time with is letting go of the vibration of fear of what may be happening to me. And also, I don't know if I really believe changing my thoughts will change my situation. All of this study of the mystic 
<clears throat> he says, uh, I don't believe anything, but I'm willing to try ideas and see for myself if I experience what is being said. Well, the law of attraction is not an easy thing to demonstrate to people. That it matters, for example, whether you see the glass is half full or half empty. But um, a little uh, experiment that uh, I've used for years, and my wife Doreen likes a lot, we call lemon thinking. And it's to, and, and most of you guys can do this now, hopefully. Um, don't do this if you're driving in an automobile or operating heavy equipment, but uh, if you're in a comfortable and safe place now, close your eyes. Take a breath and relax, just like you do in a movie theater when you settle in to watch shadows on a wall, but you're going to pretend it's a real thing. You're real good at that. So I want you to imagine that with your eyes closed, you see a lemon floating on a black background, just floating in space, a big yellow shiny lemon. God, it's a beautiful lemon. In fact, because the imagination is so wonderfully free, you can imagine that lemon floating on the black background and slowly rotating so you can see the texture and the richness of color you can see which end of the lep excuse me which which end of the lemon was hooked to the tree and without moving at all physically just imagine yourself reaching out to touch that lemon and now actually feel the texture of the surface of that lemon and then your other hand, you have a sharp knife, and imagine carefully now, carefully put the lemon on a cutting board and cut it in half with the sharp knife. And it might even spray a little bit, and, and uh, you're already beginning to smell the citrusy smell. But bring it up to your nose now and smell the citrus, and then take a big bite of the lemon. Yeah, right into the lemon, a big, juicy bite, and taste the lemon as it comes into your mouth, and the juice runs somewhat down the front of your chin, but also back into your throat, and the sour, citrusy flavor of that lemon right now is causing you to pucker and salivate. And so obviously, what you think can have an effect. I mentioned earlier, somebody surprises you. You come around the corner and and we go off oh, and you jump and we even say, we even mislabel the situation. We say, "Oh, you scared me." No, you weren't scared. You were just surprised. It sure feels like fear, though. My heart's beating a little bit and the adrenaline's already starting to pump. And yeah, definitely, thoughts have an impact on your physical body. Now, the next question might be, well. To what extent do I have an impact on circumstances and situations outside of my body and relationships? Well, your relationship with other people or your relationship with the event still has an impact because you're there. In quantum physics, we see even observing the movement of small subatomic particles has an influence 
called the observer effect. It's been known for 60 or 70 years. I wish that uh, this were talked about more in The Secret, the Hicks book, and the other books that science proved this 70 years ago. <laughs> the observer effect. Uh, Einstein knew about it, that you cannot observe a situation without having an impact on the reality of that situation. So you have to continue to work, uh, Greg, with that idea, first of all. And uh, uh, let me go back to your question. Oh, physically, illness and getting old and aging. Um, again, I would say separate out the real hazards, the real dangers from what you don't know. That will minimize what feels dangerous. The more you know, the less danger you're going to feel. Even if the news is negative, you're going to feel better knowing the truth. This is complicated because we did, and, and Steve and I did a program on this uh, a few weeks ago called A Little Knowledge uh, in the Finding Yourself in Paradise Premium podcast at FocusPassion.com where we said, you know, lots, uh, lots of times you'll be in a situation where a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, where you learn some new information and you become even more frightened. So how is it better that you and Steve keep saying that fear is rarely about real danger and usually about things unknown, and the more you know, then the less you fear? Well, <laughs> because a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. What you need is more knowledge, and then more knowledge, Greg, I would argue, and, and still more knowledge, all right? Always wanting to know. And if it's medical stuff, sometimes people say, boy, Benner, you're really locked into that whole medical establishment. I'm dividing the medical establishment into two areas, diagnosis and treatment. You get to choose the treatment provided you have the best diagnosis and all the good tests that you can get your hands on. Don't conflate the two. All right? Just because this doctor did this diagnostic test doesn't mean that that same doctor has the best treatment. You, you get to decide the treatment. But use the medical establishment to diagnose, to get the information. Then talk to multiple sources. You know, doctors and nurses and healers and nutritionists and, or nutritionalists, whatever they call themselves now, and so on and so forth. But again, I have choices. I think that's where the power is. That's certainly what I'm saying today. I have choices. I always have choices. I always have more choices than are immediately apparent. And if I can't control what's being done to me, as in health, the ravages of time and aging and the disease process on the physical body, then I can control and I do choose to control my attitude, how I look at it, and how I respond, what I do with it. I remember a fellow coming to me. I often wonder, well, I occasionally wonder. I don't want to exaggerate. I occasionally think about him and wonder whatever happened to him. Because I had great compassion for him. But he came to me for private counseling. This has got to be 20 years ago or more. And he had uh, 
one or two um, mentally challenged, how do you say, uh, I think they were autistic. They may have been Down syndrome children or autistic children, development, developmentally challenged. Is that what we say now instead of handicapped? And he couldn't handle it. All of his dreams were shattered. This child or these children were never going to be the kids that he had dreamed of having. And he wanted me to counsel him on how to deal with that reality. And my whole position was, you've chosen the wrong reality. These kids can enrich your life more than so-called normal kids, if you would, but allow it and look for it. And his frustration increased. He, he became even angry with me that I would dare to suggest that there might be some blessing in disguise, something good in this uh, tragedy that had befallen his family. And yet I still feel this way. I still feel this way. It's part of why I'm so interested in mysticism. It's not for the answers, but the questions. I love answers, but I... They often lead to even better questions, don't they? I, I love arriving at my destination, but then I'm anxious to go out and start another adventure, get on a journey of, of discovery and unfoldment and, and possibilities. And the disease process, the aging process, and the dying process can be tra absolutely transformational. I don't just mean the transformation that is death. But so many things, so many opportunities, if we would work with this middle that we're talking about today, find control in our attitudes and our points of view and how we look at things. Down in Apple Valley, hi, Michael. Could you comment and the angst and anxieties caused by the seemingly uh, perilous position of the economy and societal structure. Is it, oh, yeah, Don. It sucks, don't it, buddy? Yeah. The, the <laughs> uh, Bush really screwed it up, didn't he? Got everything he got near. This actually started long before Bush. It's the neocons. They're, it's, it's a robbery. This is a sting. Remember that movie, wasn't it, uh, Paul Newman, and they had the piano song, The Sting, big hit years back. That's what this is. The Bush-Cheney administration has been a sting, and they robbed us blind. They're already worth hundreds of millions. They plundered the Treasury. You just saw the Congress give them a check for $750 million to bail out the banks. Where is that money going to come from? They're going to borrow it from the banks. Think about it. <laughs> I like Michael Moore's line. Uh, they're um, stealing the they're stealing the silverware on the way out the door. You invited them into your home, and now they're 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 plundering your home, your home, your house. And yeah, that's what's going on. This is piracy. It's robbery. It's just bigger than we've ever seen. But the world's always been run by pirates. 
And so it's really nothing new. It's just bigger and more tragic. And it is scary because change is always scary. But even if I could guarantee you better days ahead, it would still be scary. You know, having a new baby, and we've got the research that shows a new baby brought into the home is as stressful as the death in the home. And buying a brand new beautiful house is every bit as stressful as fearing that you're going to get foreclosed upon any day. Or a new job as stressful as being fired from the old one. It's change that's scary, Don, not just the idea that the change is going to be negative and we're all going to starve. Okay, If there's any consolation, it ought to be found in the in the unanimity of the disaster. I mean, uh, how am I supposed to feel bad about, you know, not having as much money as I'm used to having if I see the big three automakers asking for welfare and food stamps, you know? Basically, they, it's crazy. They fly in on a private jet and ask for more corporate welfare, and farmers are paid not to grow food while people are hungry. And all unsold dairy products are purchased with taxpayer dollars for decades. Remember the government cheese? You ever wondered where that came from? The whole system is just... I mean, how do I comment on it? Uh, on it? Well, not, not easily, except to say that any kind of change, even if you knew it was going to be good, in the long run is stressful. So learn to deal with the stress. Breathe, relax... Tell yourself, I have choices. I have lots of choices. And in the midst of this, there's opportunity. Opportunity for change is going to be scary, regardless of the outcome. But if there's going to be change, maybe some of it will be good change. Maybe it will be like, wow, that's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Okay, try to keep that attitude. Keep the glass half full. My friends, dear friends, Brett and Angela in Glendale, uh, say hello. We love you. Thank you. We miss you guys very much and love you, too. In uh, Surprise, Arizona, Lorelei uh, is with us again this week. Hello, Michael. Peace and love. Thank you, Lorelei. Um, Tommy in L.A., on the law of attraction, sometimes we attract that which we judge. Yeah, anything you pay attention to. But you got to play around with the idea of judgment. If by that you're talking about I have choices is judging, you know, it's one thing, one kind of judgment, I guess, to consider all the different choices we have and to grow our choices. That's very different from the deductive judgment that that word usually is a reference to, eliminating what doesn't work and narrowing it down, and then you find or judging other people, you know, rather than empathizing with other people. So I'm not sure how to comment on that. But whatever we put our attention on, we're going to magnetize, you know. And the worst situations, personally speaking, we've magnetized as well, not as a punishment. Let me say this. I'm amazed at how often I hear people talk about bad karma or good karma. There is no bad karma. There is no such thing as bad karma. 
bad things happen to good people, but always for their benefit. It's it's the worst part of of a bad situation is the bad that we make of it, not just the situation we find ourselves in. If you always breathe and relax and do your best, I know how incredibly difficult and challenging this is, but always try to find the silver lining in the curse. Always look for the blessing in disguise. Consider that the universe is playing a trick on you. Not because the universe is a trickster, but because it's so passionate about your growth and your unfoldment. And if we have to get sick or broke or heartbroken in order to grow, then that's the way it is. Could we have found a more elegant path? Yeah, and that'll be part of the growing. We'll do it better next time. We'll see it coming a mile away. Boy, that's a mistake I won't have to make again. It's one of the most difficult lessons in all of philosophy and mysticism is to deal with the downside. Because we've got this fairy tale idea that God is all good. God is all things, good and that which appears to be bad. Is that all good? Yeah. Well, how could the bad be good? How can evil be righteous? It can be, if that's what it takes to wake us up. Could you have done it better? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the process, too. I just think the game's rigged. Greg coming back from Mission Hills saying, yeah, that lemon example is real helpful. Uh, he was referring to illness. And as we get older, it's always something. Right? And uh, let's see. Also from Las Vegas, Greg. Greg Simonian is with us. She says hello to Michael and Doreen and Steve and all of her families. Happy holidays. and Happy holidays uh, to you, Greg. And... and uh, that's uh, Greg in Las Vegas and Greg in Mission Hills and Tommy and Lorelai and Brett and Angela and Don and, and Glenn in San Diego and Dr. Kevin Amsterdam and Robert down in Irvine and John in Pittsburgh and Carol in La Habra and Steve in Los Angeles. Isn't that cool? Isn't this cool? I, I hope you can make this every Sunday. One o'clock West Coast time, four o'clock in the East, 21 hours GMT, and of course the replays are always available. Use the link in the newsletter you get. I'm still working on transferring that to a new format. There's a lot to it. But know that you can always come in through my website, theagelesswisdom.com. Just click on homepage to come in and then web teleconference. The upcoming one will be listed there, and all of the archives are there. And I also really want your support on FocusPassion.com. We're asking a contribution of as little as 99 cents. You can listen to these, subscribe with your iTunes, if you already have iTunes, or it's a free download for PC and Mac, or any RSS reader. All the browsers have them now. So it's really simple. We've made a one-click system, no more swipe and copy and paste put a lot of time and energy and money frankly into this new one click system and if you're already a contributor then all you have to do is use the remember password or I forgot my password button to get a new password it's all that it takes then log in with that username is your email address the password you chose or were given 
and then you can come in and see all the programs, listen to them streaming, and send one to a friend as many times as you want. Okay. I only have a few minutes, so let's do a real quick visualization exercise. And provided it's a safe and, and a good time for you, just close your eyes and relax. Get comfortable, breathe, and let go of the struggle. You know exactly what struggle I'm talking about. All of it. Just give it up for a minute. Like you do when you go to sleep at night, but we're not going to go that deep. Just relax and close your eyes. Just like you did with the lemon. And I'd like you to see, in your imagination, a blackboard. Where I went to school, the blackboards were green, so I call them blackboards, but in my mind I see green boards, chalkboards. <laughs> and I want you to write on the left side, stimulus, and on the right side of the board, response. As they're usually thought of, as action and reaction, cause and effect, this and that. And think about how, in a binary sense, we put everything on top of that. Cause and effect, action and reaction, stimulus, response, right or wrong, good and bad, winners and losers, men and women, either or, black and white. It's not enough. Except when you're in real danger, and then the automatic system, the autonomic system will take over. And you will fight or run. And then you'll think about it. But in the vast majority of stressful situations, do what you're doing now. Remind yourself. And write it on the board now. POV, point of view. In between stimulus and response. Or perspective or attitude. Put that in the middle. So it says stimulus, attitude, response or stimulus point of view or perspective, perception and response. And see it on the board. Stimulus, perspective, point of view, response. And under stimulus put no control. Can't do much about it. But underneath perception and response, right, I have choices. And remember the rest. There are, number two, there are always more choices than are immediately apparent. Number three, these are my choices, how I look at it and what I choose to do with it. And this is the control I've been looking for. I can't control other people. I can't, like the sailor says, control the wind, but I can trim my sails. Stop managing other people, unless you're paid to do that, but trying to influence or persuade or threaten or intimidate or make it about you. Find the freedom in controlling you in choosing your response. You don't have to change what they say. You might ask them to talk a little differently, but you don't need them to if you take ownership of how you look at it and how you respond. Okay. And then say to yourself, this will be easy to remember. And if you haven't written it down, maybe in a moment when you open your eyes, you could. 
tell yourself this will be easy to remember. I have choices, stimulus, perspective, and response. Take a slow, deep breath. Uh, as you exhale, open your eyes wide awake and alert, rested, refreshed, and really lucid. You're clear on this idea. Make some notes and write it down if you want to. Now that we're wrapping it up here, and tell yourself again how easy it'll be to remember. And then practice remembering I have choices, not in what's done to me, but how I look at it and what I do with it. Again, hope you'll be a contributor at FocusPassion.com and join us every Sunday for this program, The Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for your wonderful comments. Continue to have a wonderful holiday weekend. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.